you think of the idea of an invitation. All of us have received invitations of one sort or another. I suppose when you think of an invitation, something that comes pretty quickly to mind is the idea of being invited to a party or being invited to some sort of a gathering or a, uh, a dinner or something of that manner when we think of an invitation. But you also would associate the idea of an invitation with a graduation ceremony. For instance, someone's graduating from school and you might be invited to attend the graduation or maybe a wedding. We get wedding invitations and that's always a time of celebration. Or perhaps your invitation is to participate in some special opportunity. Maybe someone invites you to come to work for them uh, and, and you have an, an opportunity to, to uh, get a better job or something like that. Invitations. You understand the idea of an invitation. Well, today we want to talk about the most important invitation that was ever extended. We want to talk about the invitation that was extended by Jesus himself in the famous words that Anthony read for us earlier. Matthew 11, beginning verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's some things there that we need to realize in that invitation of Jesus. And that's what we want to spend a few minutes talking about together this morning. Thank you for being here. We're glad for each and every one. We're especially grateful for our visitors. We're glad that we have this opportunity on this beautiful Lord's Day to come together. Our primary focus and purpose for coming is to bring honor and glory to God. And we pray that he'll be glorified by our worship service this morning. We think we glorify him by worshiping him in the way that he prescribed. And so that's what we're trying to do. And if, you have, if you're visiting especially and you have any questions about why we go about our business of worship in the manner that we do, by all means, please ask that, and we'll try to give you an answer from the Bible. We're trying to base what we do upon the Scriptures. And so if you have a question of any kind, as Lee mentioned earlier, please ask, and we'll try to answer. But we're so grateful for everybody who's here today. Let's talk about this invitation that is extended to us from Jesus Christ himself. The first thing that I want to point out about the idea that we've been invited by Jesus to come, come unto me, he says, the first thing that is implied in that is that we are away from the Lord. The idea of being invited to come to him suggests that there's some separation between us, some alienation. For instance, I would not invite you to come to my house for supper if you were already at my house sitting around the supper table. Uh, the idea of receiving an invitation is to come to a place where you are not now, right? Uh, if you were invited to a wedding, you wouldn't receive the invitation if you're already sitting there at the wedding reception. The invitation tells you to, from wherever you are to come to this place where the wedding is being held. And so the very idea that Jesus calls us, invites us, come unto me, suggests that we're away from him, that there is some sort of alienation or separation between us. Someone might say, well, I don't know about that. I don't feel separated from God. I don't feel like I'm such a, a bad person. There are some really bad people in this world, but I'm not one of them. I'm a pretty decent person. And, I, and you're suggesting that I'm separated from the Lord. I don't think so. I think I'm a, a, a pretty good person. Well, this may be a wake-up call for you, but you certainly need it. You are separated from the Lord. If you've never 
been obedient to the instructions of the Scripture, you are separated from God. You, in fact, are in the very worst possible situation. If you've never come to the Lord in obedience, you are in a desperate condition. In Isaiah chapter 59, beginning verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Notice here that Isaiah uses the word separated. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's the idea we're talking about here. You're away from him. You are not in a right relationship with Him. You're separated because of your sins. Well, someone says, yeah, maybe others, but I don't feel like I'm such a horrible person. I'm not such a terrible sinner. Yes, you are. I, I, I just don't know how we can emphasize that enough, that we are all terrible sinners separated from God until we come in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3, beginning verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 23 of that same text says, For all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, we need to see ourselves then as separated from God and in desperate need of salvation. We need this invitation that Jesus is extending. Come unto me, he says. And the reason why we need it is because we are away. We are separated. All right. The second thing that I think we would point out from this famous invitation of Jesus is that we can come. We're away from him, but we can come. And when Jesus said, come unto me, he was not offering an exclusive invitation to just certain select individuals. You know, typically that's the kind of invitations that men extend. For instance, if you're planning a wedding, you can't invite everybody under the sun to come to your wedding. You have to pick out certain people to invite to your wedding. If you're a, uh, an employer on a job, you can only invite so many people to come to work for you. You can't employ everybody. There's not that much work and you don't have that much money. If you're having a supper, you invite certain select people because you can't feed everybody all at once. That's the way men invite, in limited fashion. But the invitation of the Lord is not an exclusive invitation. It's for all. And so all of us are in this terrible separated condition by sin, but we are all invited to come participate in the blessings that Jesus offers. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, God is not, or excuse me, God will not have, I won't get that right in a minute, God will have, rather, God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everybody to be saved. He has, He hasn't picked out just certain ones. Our religious friends who believe in the theories of Calvin say that certain people are chosen to salvation, but other people are not. And if you're among the chosen, then you will be saved. But if you're not among those who've been predestined or foreordained to salvation, you can't be saved no matter if you want to. You can't. They believe in a limited invitation, right? But the invitation is not limited. God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I don't know how you can say that any plainer. God wants all to come to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. Well, if that's what he wants, can he do it? Of course he can do it. And, and the Calvinists are just completely wrong when they suggest that he has picked only some and omitted others from this invitation. The Apostle Paul was so amazed by all of this. And he said concerning himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning at verse 15, 
This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul was amazed at that. You know, we know the life of the Apostle Paul. We know the things that he had done. We know that he had been very aggressive in persecuting Christians at, at the beginning of the church. And in the early chapters of Acts, we read about him hunting people down, literally hunting people down to throw them in prison. And he said, when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. Some were even being put to death. And he was a part of that. And he had contributed to that. And he was in, he was in uh, 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 taking a leading role in that persecution of the church until he learned the truth about Jesus and himself became an adamant follower of Christ. He had been a terrible persecutor. And I think Paul was always in amazement that a man such as he, who had done those sorts of things, could be brought into a right relationship with God through Christ Jesus. And he calls himself here the chief of sinners. Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. If he can save me, he can save anybody, basically, I think is the idea of Paul's words there. And it is true. And so, not only are we away and needing something to bring us back together with God, the fact of the matter is, it's possible. We can come. We're invited to come. We can come. Everybody can come. But to this, we would add another point, and that is the idea that we, we must come. We can come, but here what we're emphasizing is we need to take action in that regard. So we're away from God, and we're invited to come. Everybody can. But here we're emphasizing the fact that you've got to do something about that invitation. You must do the coming. You must take the action to be right with God. Uh, if you want what Jesus is offering, you have to accept the invitation. What would it be like if somebody did invite you to come to work for them? I've got a really good paying job, and, uh, and uh, it's very steady work, and it's guaranteed. I mean, this is the kind of, this is the kind of business that's going to grow, not diminish. And we see great things for the company ahead, and, and we invite you, uh, to come join our working force, and we're paying really good money with all the conceivable benefits that a person might envision. And there's work here for as long as you want the work, you're invited to come and participate in it. And you say, oh, that's great. That's a wonderful invitation. But you never show up. You never show up for work. You never come and do what needs to be done. Do you expect anything in return? Obviously not, right? You've got to respond to that invitation. You've got to do something about that. And that's the way it is with this invitation that Jesus is extending. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But you've got to come. You've got to do something about that. You know, the Lord, I think, clearly, because he's sovereign, he could have chosen to save everyone unilaterally. Just going to save you all. Just going to blanket salvation for everybody, the Lord says. He could have done that. He could have done anything he chose to do. But the fact of the matter is that he didn't choose to do that. He chose, rather, to extend an invitation to everyone, making it possible for everyone, but leaving it up to us individually to respond to that invitation to do something about it. In the very first gospel sermon that was preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, at the conclusion of Peter's sermon, it says, Now when they heard this, that is, the people to whom the lesson had been delivered, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, 
what shall we do? Stop there for a minute. What shall we do? That was the question, right? What action should we take? They understood that they were away from God. They understood that something was being offered, but they also saw there was something they had to do. What shall we do, they said. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Peter didn't say, There's nothing to do. You don't have to do anything. Because everybody's saved. He didn't say that. When they said, What shall we do? He told them what to do. To repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. In Acts chapter 26, we read about the Apostle Paul before King Agrippa. And as he had been giving uh, his message, uh, at the conclusion of that, Paul asked, Acts chapter 26, verse 27, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except these bonds. Of course, the reference to bonds there is the fact that Paul was a prisoner. He was actually pleading his case before King Agrippa. But he took the occasion to preach to King Agrippa. And notice, he said to Agrippa, I know that you believe. He was a believer. And Agrippa himself admitted, almost thou persuadest me. He was a believer. He was almost persuaded. It was not enough. He needed to do more. He did not accept the invitation, you see. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You know, actually, that's how Paul had invested his life, right? Trying to persuade men. Because he was aware of the terror of the Lord. He, he knew of judgment that's coming. He knew what would happen. If you don't obey the Lord, he knew what would happen. And so he had spent his life persuading men. Why persuade men if you don't have to do anything? If there's no response to the invitation that's required, why would Paul spend his life trying to persuade men? The reason, of course, is that he knew that we have to act in response to the invitation of the Lord. So we're away, but we can come and we must come, and we receive tremendous blessings when we do. Um, you ever received that invitation to a dinner appointment, and you went, and it was the best meal you ever had in your whole life. You got a benefit by accepting the invitation. Someone invited you to that good job, and you had this opportunity to earn that good wage and all those benefits and so forth. And you took the job and man, it really paid off. You received a great benefit by accepting that invitation. Or maybe you were invited to a party and it was a very enjoyable party and you had a really good time and you're so glad that you accepted the invitation. You accepted the invitation, you went to the party and you enjoyed yourself uh, by being there. You got that uh for responding to the invitation, you've got that benefit. What about this? What about the benefit that comes from responding to the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ? Come unto me, he says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. He says, I will give you rest. And that's what we really need. We need that rest for our souls. We need to be we unburdened from the load of sin which we're carrying. We're all, I don't think we 
really picture ourselves this way, but we should. We're under a heavy burden of sin. It's a burden that we can't carry. And Jesus is saying, I'll give you rest. You're, you who are burdened down with sin, I'll give you rest from that. I'll take that off of you. That's the greatest blessing that could ever be bestowed. Better than the response to, uh, better than the, the blessing that comes from responding to any other invitation you ever had is the blessing that comes from responding to this invitation of Christ. We deserve to be punished forever in hell. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. We deserve to die. We deserve that eternal punishment for our sins. And Jesus took the punishment for us. He took our place. That's an amazing thing when you stop to think about it, that Jesus took our place, and we are blessed because of what he did. He has taken from us that load of sin that we couldn't carry ourselves. heard a story once of, a, of a, some boys in school back in very hard times, depression-type times, and there was this skinny little kid who was, whose family obviously was terribly impoverished. They literally didn't have food to put on the table. And so when they went to school, and they, of course, were expected to carry their own lunch, this little boy didn't have any lunch to carry. And that went on for a few days, and finally one day he was so hungry, he knew where the other kids stashed their food for lunch, and he went and he stole a lunch, and he ate it, because he was so terribly hungry. Well, when it was found out that one of the lunches was missing, the schoolmaster called all the students together, and through a process of elimination, they found out that it was this skinny little starving boy who had stolen that lunch from another kid. And the schoolmaster was a strict man, and he wouldn't allow such to take place in his school, and he got the rod, and he was about to beat that boy for what he'd done. And another kid stepped forward, a big burly kid. It was actually his lunch that had been stolen. And he said, I'll take his beating. Put it on me, he said. Schoolmaster allowed that that could happen. He would let that. He would let him take his place. And so he laid those blows on that big burly kid, took him down, made him cry. Afterwards, the, the skinny kid came to him and he said, you took my place. That beating would have killed me. And very well might have. He was in such bad physical shape. He said, you took my beating for me. I'll, I'll be your friend forever. You saved me. Can you imagine a story like that? I suppose that sort of thing probably has happened in times past. If you can picture that story, picture us as that skinny little starving to death kid. That's us. And we can't bear the weight ourselves. But somebody else stepped in to take the punishment for us. What would be your reaction to someone who steps in and takes your place in punishment? You can't imagine that that skinny little kid would have done anything else than pledge his devotion to the one who took his place for the beating, right? How can we do any less to Jesus who took the, the punishment we deserved? He tasted death for us. It's what we deserved, and he took it on himself. That's the blessing that comes to us when we accept his invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's what Jesus is doing for us. And we need to respond in, in humble submission to him. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, 
he bare his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Again, I'm afraid that we don't picture ourselves in such desperate condition as we should, that we need to be healed by his stripes ye were healed. In First Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. The reason I put this verse here is because I think when we think about the blessings that come when we serve the Lord, there's the, there's the temptation to only focus on going to heaven when this life is over. And, of course, that is the great reward. That's what we're seeking. That's what we desperately want, to be in heaven when this life is over. I'm not diminishing that at all, but I want to emphasize what Paul is emphasizing here. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and that which is to come. Godliness is beneficial now. Your life will be enriched now. You'll be better off now. And you'll get to go to heaven when this life is over. I think we make a mistake when we fail to emphasize this is the best life for here and now. You'll, you'll be abundantly blessed now. And, of course, go to heaven when this life is over. So, we are away, but we can come. However, we have to take action. We must come and receive the blessing which is offered. One more point to make is that when we accept this invitation, we take on ourselves new necessary responsibilities. Don't overlook the rest of the passage there. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke means something to do, right? They use a yoke on an animal to get get him to do work. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, I'm outfitting you for work. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light, but my yoke is not non-existent. My burden is not non-existent. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus basically is making this offer. I'll take from you the load you can't carry yourself, but I'm going to give you one that I expect you to carry. And that has to be understood in this invitation as well. I think way too many people want the blessings that Jesus is offering, but they don't want to accept any responsibility to serve him. And that won't work. This is a wonderful invitation, the greatest ever offered. But we have to understand that when we accept that invitation, we accept the responsibilities that go with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Notice especially the word abounding there. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Are we abounding in the work of the Lord? Uh, are we really working hard in His service? Would you feel comfortable use, using the word abounding to describe what you're doing for the Lord? I don't think many of us would feel very comfortable using that expression, but that's what we need to be striving for, abounding in the work of the Lord. We've accepted these responsibilities. We need to be busy fulfilling them. We've been studying the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings in our Bible class. We're almost through it, but... It's such an important study, and there's so many good messages for us. One of the verses that we so often use 
And by the way, I apologize for the fact that these colors are not showing up too good here on on these uh, scriptures. But Revelation 2, verse 10, we know that verse. And the, the part that we often emphasize is, Be faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. Usually when we quote the verse, we just quote that part of it. But I want you to notice it all this morning. Jesus said to those persecuted saints, He said, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Jesus was aware that they were going through very difficult times. And the message to them was that those hard times weren't over yet. Notice he uses the first, or he uses the present tense. Thou shalt suffer. More things to suffer. The devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. Ye shall have tribulation. In other words, Jesus was saying, I know that you're in hard times. But he's saying, I'm telling you, keep on being faithful to receive that crown of life. What about us? Are we being faithful? We don't have much hard times by the way of persecution like those Christians were suffering. But nonetheless, we've got to be faithful. You want that crown of life? You want the ultimate prize of the invitation that Jesus is extending? Then you have to be faithful unto death. Are you being faithful to the Lord? This is a great invitation extended by Jesus Christ himself. Very familiar words, uh, so often quoted. There's a lot there for us to think about. What great blessings the Lord offers to us all. Will you respond to his invitation this morning? If you're not a Christian, will you become one? Hearing that simple truth of the gospel, will you respond in obedience to the plan of salvation? Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If you're ready to make that decision this morning, we're ready to assist you. If you need more study, say so. We'd be glad to study with you. If you're a Christian already, but you've not been faithful to the Lord, we urge you to come back to Him in repentance, confession, and prayer. The one who has loved you so much, who gave Himself for you, Come back to him in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can help in any way, let us know while we stand and sing this song.